Hello, and welcome to Carefully Taught, teaching musical theater with Maddie and Kiko. A podcast to discuss musical theater pedagogy and to create a community of sharing amongst musical theater educators. Feel free to email us at carefullytaughtpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at carefullytaughtpodcast. My sabbatical is going amazing. Um, I, of course, am a workaholic, so I have spread myself very thin, even though I'm not teaching classes. Um, so I'm I'm writing this musical, which I'm currently rewriting draft two. And when mm -hmm. I say that, we haven't written any... Well, that's not true. We've written one song, but right now we've got, we basically got the play and then we've got scenes or monologues in place for any of the spots that we think songs are going to go. Mm -hmm. um, so we're a little bit behind schedule, but it not, I mean, it's fine. It's nothing, it's nothing big. It's it. Um, but the script is there. The story is there. The characters are there. We're continuing developing them and and I, I love working with my collaborator who writes the music for our podcast, joshuahegmusic.com. Um, and uh, so that's going really well. But then I also took on this um, this role of casting director at uh, the Clinton Area Showboat Theater, where I previously served as artistic director. Um, the last two years, have ha they've had a different artistic director. This year, they have a new artistic director who um, was my sidekick my right hand person when i i ran the showboat and he's just he's a designer he's a technician and he's doing a really good job of um how do i put this uh delegating and so he's not doing everything himself like i did my first couple seasons there and one of the things he's delegated is casting the season which was something i always really quite enjoyed and um but also kind of forgot how much work it was um so I I spent some uh, spent a lot of time reviewing self tapes because we did a playbill uh, casting announcement that led to like six hundred virtual submissions and I reviewed them all <laughs> um, and then uh, an in person audition tour in the Midwest kind of in in within driving distance of the actual theater so that um, we could see people in person. And you know what, the Kiko, I, I I laughed when I said how much work it was. Part of that, though, is that when I was artistic director doing the casting myself, I would select the season and I would deliberately select a season where like the actor tracking made sense to me inherently. Um, I didn't create this season. So like I, I inherited the season and then had to try to figure out tracking and somebody else's game plan because somebody else had selected the season. Um but it is so good for me as somebody who teaches audition techniques and teaches the business of the business to sit in on, again, between virtual and in-person auditions, probably 700, 750 auditions. Like, because it is such a good reminder of what works. It's also a good, um, it's a really good opportunity to see what the trends are in term, you know, like what people are doing, what people aren't doing. Um, you know, the virtual landscape, the virtual edition landscape did not exist when I was an actor, right? And so I know what I know from kind of figuring it out and watching YouTube videos and different things, but like actually being a casting director who is on the receiving end of all of these auditions and seeing what's like popping out of the screen and what's not, I'm going to be a better audition techniques teacher next fall when I teach it because I'm I'm walking in these shoes right now. So that's been pretty cool. 
that's been pretty cool. But um, can I ask what the season is? Yes, of course. Yes, 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 yes. So they're opening with this Broadway re- review that they created. Um, well, that I created because it hadn't been created and I needed to cast it. So I was like, let me just make it for you so that I can cast it. <laughs> so it's this it's this leading ladies cabaret and it's um, an hour and 20 minutes of all of the Broadway standards that you would expect in something like that. Um, and then Young Frankenstein, which we're doing the new West End version which i like a lot i saw the broadway production and i loved the show i thought it was very fun but they've really scaled it down made it more manageable it was unwieldy. i think the original script was a little unwieldy um so we're doing that then they're doing the new quote-unquote new uh adaptation of rogers and hammerstein cinderella um and then it is um spongebob the musical and then the final show is murder for two which is two actors that also play the piano so and to be honest the the director of that particular production was just like let me just hire this the the people that i want to work with and i'm like great so i'm i'm focusing on the first four shows those are pretty big pretty big shows yeah yeah and on a little stage at, Mm -hmm. at a small equity theater company in the midwest that doesn't have wing space um I've also taken on the responsibility of directing Young Frank um, because I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> and, oh my God. <laughs> this is, and, I mean, there, there is something to be said for, you know, and this is it. This is the time. This is how you want to spend your time. There's absolutely no judgment about it, but it does yeah. make you laugh. You're like, I'm making this time and space. And then you're just filling every. Yeah. It's true. It's true. (laughs) But again, I mean, to be honest, so, so the directing thing is great. The directing thing, you know, I've been directing since I got my MFA while I was teaching, while I was not teaching, you know, that's not that it is nice to work with people from outside of the, the university community. What I really want to do though, Kikau, is I really want to have an opportunity to perform in a show, to act in a show. I feel like it, 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 like I was saying about the casting directorship, um, playing a role, walking in an actor's shoes makes me so much better of a teacher. I don't consider myself a performer anymore. I don't want to do it for any sort of uh, ego or anything like that. But I, I feel like I have this responsibility if I'm going to be teaching people how to be musical theater performers from time to time you know, dust those skills off and walk in those shoes. It makes me more empathetic as a director. It makes me better understand what students need um, in the classroom. But, um, you know, what I have to do is audition and I just haven't had an opportunity to like do that. So like at some point, if any of our listeners are directing a show and they have an equity contract for a small character, 45 year old male identifying role, uh, give me a call because those, uh, those are skills that I, I actually, I feel a responsibility to, but again, the, the directing thing makes me a better teacher. The casting directing makes me a better, uh, teacher. All of this is going back to serve the same, the same thing. Um, what I need is what we have talked about time and time again on this podcast. I'm taking up a lot of space. I want to hear from you here in a second. Um, I need my model ship. I need my like my 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 uh, uh, something to focus on that brings me uh, great joy that is not 
related to my job at all. Um, I am in search of what that is. And I, I don't know. So one of the things that happens when you have a hobby, like being in theater and you make it your career, your hobby becomes your job. And, you know, you have, I think it's so healthy and so important for us to have those escapes from job from family where you can just sort of, I call it model ship because like, I just have this image of like zooming into that, that little sail that you're trying to mount in a bottle with, with tweezers or whatever. I don't have that in my life right now. And I need that. So hopefully, hopefully I'll find that soon. It's hard with my kids being the age that they are because they need constant attention. Um, but anyway, that's how my creative leave is going. Good, good, good. It seems to me like the model ship at the moment are the kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, true. It, it's, that's it, true. it is the kind of thing that you have to right Make sure all the, the things are in the bottle, but, uh, but between you and I, and anybody that's listening, I do need an escape from them from time to time too. <laughs> they are a lot of energy. <laughs> so what have you been up to? How's your in town? What's happening in your world? Oh my gosh. It's been so fun. So, um, yeah, I have begun uh, the rehearsal process for You're in Town. Um, it's a show that I truly love. I um, put the show up as a director choreographer in 2008. And so it's fun for me to explore the show again with college students. Uh, and this for me is the um, the debut of my directing here at UArts. It's the... Um, inaugural production for what we call our studio production, which really actually just means that it is specifically reserved for, and I guess in some cases chosen for the um, upper class folk, right? So the seniors and the juniors who um, have traversed, have done their foundational work and, and we limit the casting pool to just those cohorts. Um, so it's fun to think about choosing a previously produced show specifically for um, humans. Um, specifically, <laughs> and um, yeah, and it's been great. It's been great putting um, my head back in that uh, zone as a director. Um, I find it so blissful um, to be in a room with students and to be, to connect production to, to curriculum and, and pedagogy in that way. Um, you know, you talking about being a casting director, it just hearing that part of the conversation reminds me about how much production is a part of what we do in the university system. And, you know, my previous uh, institution, MPI, um, where I really was serving in, in multiple facets, but had an additional job as well as associate artistic director. And um, it is all just part of it. It is all part of what we do. Um, and I think as we are seeing prospective students come in, that kind of becomes the line that sets programs apart from each other, right? Like how many um, shows do you produce? Is it possible for me as a first year to come and um, audition for something or is there a, a, a performance opportunity um how um is there something reserved for me when i am a senior do you do um showcase like it's all of this is pretty forward-facing performance stuff but but 
does still come from um, that the, the listening to the industry, being inside of the industry, um, really understanding what best practices are, and um, and in, and bringing those practices to our students. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much that you just said that I want to unpack. Um, the first thing I want to ask about is with you're in town. One of the things that is different about your current institution and job assignment than your previous one is how much of your job now, like what percentage of your job now is administrative versus like hands-on classroom stuff. And you also mentioned that this is your debut as a director. Um, So I have two two questions. One, does it feel different not having had these students in the class for several years, uh, you know, being in the trenches with them and then, you know, putting on the director hat? That's the first question. And then the second question is, do you feel any additional pressure because it is your first directorial assignment at this institution? Like, do you feel like you have anything to prove whereas you didn't have it to prove it before? So those are the two parts. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I did teach, I am allowed to teach one class per um, semester or do one thing. This is my one thing for this particular semester. So um, I did have an opportunity to to work with some of these students. Um, I do find myself um, magnetized to the juniors, to the juniors, to the seniors, um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, But I don't know what it is. It's like the year that they go from 20 to 21 in most cases. And uh, um, there's, there's, there is a um, sort of a twinkle in their eye. There's sort of a, like, I am ready to do this energy that um, is just different than working with folks that are just even one year um, younger than that. So I, 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 I find that fascinating. Um I do like teaching in a rehearsal process. So like we really do break down things in table work. I include table work in each of our, um, in every rehearsal that we're working on staging. Um, I'm able to um, use the the uh, rehearsal as a workshop of new ideas. Um, there, there are some techniques that I'm trying that um, are really fun that feel very lab like um and i get to um have like a uh yeah in some cases i'm starting a relationship mm-hmm. with some of these students who might not be familiar with who i am as an artist and um, it, it's fun to share that part of it mm-hmm. um so it's been super exciting and and does feel like a rehearsal process right and definitely feels like a learning opportunity um and as far as the pressure like I think it's just the same kind of pressure that I would put on myself in any scenario or situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily feel the like the debut vibes of it though. Like I don't feel like there's any anxiety around what that is. I feel like I look to the bravery of our students, right? For some of them, this might be the first or second time that they find themselves on on our main stages here and and also share that same debut energy. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is the one. This is the this is where I get to stand. Um, so I like to come up with challenging choreographic moments or um, really dig in deep to the text to find, um, to uncover anything that feels like um, 
archaeological that feels like we can really dig in. Um, and so for those of you not familiar with Urinetown, all of the, the musical theater history that lives within me um, is just coming out, right? Like it truly is a celebration of, of um, musical theater as well as um, speaks to what's happening today across the, the, the globe um, with water disappearing in certain areas and um, the government, um, you know, the way government works these days where it really is um, taxes and fees for what, right? So it's, it has just become so relevant and um, ultimately I just want to have a good time in the room and I want to have, a, I want the students to walk away with a positive, healthy experience to then go on and hold space for themselves in, in the uh, professional world. Totally. You know, when you were listing all of the different types of performance opportunities that your students get, you mentioned showcase and showcase. We've talked about a little about showcase on the podcast before, but it's been, really been something that's been on my mind and your relationship with the senior showcase and that process and mine, they're different. And, and I'm wondering if, how, where are you guys at in your development of the showcase and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, what your senior showcase looks like, because I'm pretty sure I'm going to create one from scratch here at Chico State. And I'm, I'm happy to tell you about what I'm thinking about after you talk a little bit about where that is at your institution. Yeah, I'll say this is one that has developed over the years, um, right? There there do seem to be, there does seem to be a uh, uh, kind of the basics, um, something that is either live and in person or recorded um, some sort of invitation to the industry managers, casting directors, et cetera. For us, um, what used to be tied to a classroom experience has been now untied. Um, we, we really do uh, allow the opt-in, opt-out nature of it. So someone is not doing showcase for credit. They are actually choosing to, to participate in this. They work with outside folks. They work with um, uh, folks that are in or situated in New York City um, in order to get their showcase together. And then we are performing it in New York um, the week of our spring break, which is March 13th. So coming up really soon. Um, they have outside of any classroom, just like that's sort of key to what I think the success they have had to um, work on their websites and, you know, kind of get all of that information together. They have worked on material that they'll be presenting both in in-person coachings with um, the amazing Steve Pasek, who's directing the show, as well as um, some virtual just meetings just to make sure they're on the same page. Um, we from Philadelphia go up to New York, we perform this, and then we come down from New York. I'm planning on staying around a bit to um, see a couple shows such as Shucked and um, Parade. Those are on the, those are on my list. Um, and, uh, you know, each student gets, uh, there's a group moment. Each student gets uh, 90 seconds or so, maybe a little bit more to present their material. And then uh, after that, experience will be uh, meeting with various agents and folks in a sort of post-show 
um, reception kind of thing. So um, the final product, it looks like a, a little review. It looks like a little sh live show. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it looks like a review. We also are um, filming it as well in yep. these spaces. So that we have found to be the biggest key. Oh, I'm sorry. Today, Philadelphia is very hunky horny. Um, ooh, honky <laughs> of the horn. Um, so they... <laughs> And we're cutting that part. Um, and, um, so yeah, they, it looks like a review. Um, uh, there is uh, the recorded element, which is uh, helpful to actually bring folks to one space to then click on material that we would that would fall under um, the extra material that they would have. And also here's what they performed in the showcase this year. And also here's their resume and headshot. Yep. So all of that, all of that work has been um, in the in the pipeline ready to go. Um, but I will say that that it has evolved from what I remember that to be that experience of jewel toned outfits and we're all Total singing right like it's it's evolved it really has it's it's a little bit more like who are you right and we had a very long conversation about what showcase is like what and what showcase is for you and how it might be different from someone else um but we're what we're finding that um various markets are still reaching out to us and to our students um, even though we have centralized it to a New York experience that we have folks that are um, off to LA, off to Atlanta, off to Chicago and at New York and the recorded portion of it have been a very positive thing. Mm -hmm. Do um, How does the financial part of it work? Do Does the university pay for the students to get there, rent the space, uh, pay for the coaching? Like how, what, what do you and don't you pay for? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I think that it's a combination of things. I uh, the the university pays for things like the rental of the space. They will pay for the transportation to and from. It's pretty pretty easy to get up to um, New right. York and back from Philly. Um, it uh, of course the coachings, um, but there is also a what we've just been calling a participation fee from students, and and this is something that they. Um, can and have done some fundraising around. Um, part of that really is the the buy-in, the sort of separate like energy mm. that they themselves have to to bring in. Now, this there's a, that all kind of also gets broken down into um, into what they are getting. That that is materials. That's um, the printed um, printed programs. The um, you know, the binders that all of the information comes in, it just uh, can um, balloon depending on the number of people that are participating in it. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of things. We though, as a school take on the, the biggest uh, cost mm -hmm. in this experience. So my, my point on this, my position on this, has really been evolving lately as I am continuing to growth mindset my way through being a musical theater program coordinator. You know, when I first started and up until recently, I was really of the mindset that I was against the idea of a senior showcase. Um, 
being in a school from in California, uh, the costs associated with going to New York are really just astronomical. And I didn't want to create a position. I didn't want to put students in a position where it turned into some students can afford to go and some students couldn't. And then that, that whole, the whole thing. The other thing that I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer of is that New York isn't the answer for everybody and doing a, a senior showcase in New York and in only New York, like what my experience was, which my family paid for completely on their own, um, you know, without any help from school, they, they basically rented the theater and paid for the accompanist. And then all of the students had to pay for everything else. Um, you know, the idea of busing students off to New York when that wasn't the best fit for everybody, that felt weird to me. Um, so the last few years, last couple of years, we've been, I mean, partially because COVID sort of pushed everybody into doing things online. We did sort of an informal senior showcase on online. Um, and that way, I, my theory, my thought was, okay, well, students can send this to anybody regardless of where they're going to go. Um, then we had that the Q and A with the casting folks in um, in 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 at the MTEA conference, and and let me go back and say my idea of what a senior showcase was, which was like this forty five minute review where students all got ninety seconds to break up, and there was some sort of maybe opening and closing number kind of thing. Um, we had that experience in New York where we we're talking to Rachel and Destiny. And um, they sort of framed it in a different way. And so I, I started thinking about it differently. And then I did this trip where in, in these schools, uh, not just at schools, but um, to the Midwest to cast. And I, I got to see our old friend, David Coolidge, and he was talking about his plans. And I was just sort of thinking about, for because he's now at Ohio Northern, sorry, <laughs> jumping around a little bit. Um, and they're going about it a slightly different way. They're they're basically doing a series of coachings and master classes with chosen casting directors and agents that they're bringing in. And that really, I thought he, I think that's such a, and, and he's not the only one doing that, but I think that's such a smart idea. Um, and so I, I've been really, really wrestling with this because I don't think I'm serving my students right now um, with the model that we've been using the last few years. Um. And the thing that the, the had a light bulb moment after David was telling me about what he was doing, because I was like, you know, if you if you do something like that, where you go to New York, you 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 rent a studio, you invite people, you know, maybe there's a fee associated for their time or whatever, and people get to do coachings with the people in the biz right now in person, right before they move. Um whether or not they move to New York City, that is a valuable experience. That is a valuable, tangible experience that they can take, whether they move to Los Angeles, Chicago, Orlando, Baltimore. I mean, you fill in the blank major theater market. Um, the feedback that they get, as well as the contacts that they get, that's something that that would could really widen the bridge for students leaving a BFA musical theater program as they're moving into the industry. There's still this question, however, about how to get student, how to pay for students to get there and not let it turn into a have and have not situation. So that's sort of where I'm at right now. Also, because there's so much I am grateful 
for working at a state school in California, which is a litigious school with unions and red tape and protection for lots of things. Um, one of the things that is challenging, though, is finances, fi finances and, and paying for things and getting money for things. So um, right now I'm investigating the process of potentially doing some sort of fundraising campaign that maybe the students are in charge of. And so then they're getting the buy-in that you were talking about with the with the 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 fee that they pay the act the the participation fee, you know. Um, maybe they all do you know three-person cabarets that we charge tickets for, and that money goes towards the senior showcase. Maybe they they're in, they have to do a certain number of hours selling concessions at intermission because right now we don't do anything like that. And maybe all of that money that they raise together goes to pay for them to do this. And maybe it's not just the seniors, maybe the maybe the sophomores and juniors do it too, because they know that in a couple of years, when they go to their New York showcase, the lower classmen are going to be helping them too. That part I'm not so sure about, but it's it's definitely been a huge shift for me in my thought process in in how to serve our my students because I think something like that would be very beneficial for them in their careers. And I, I am, my mind has been open to maybe the showcase doesn't look like it did in the jewel tones in, you know, as, as we rent an off-Broadway theater and sent out a bunch of invitations and hope that people come. Because I will say another reason that I was a little like, not against it, but um, reticent to it was that I went to some senior showcases when I lived in New York at schools that were maybe smaller, like the school that I teach at. And I didn't see a bunch of people showing up, you know, at this designated time, you know, knocking down the doors to to sign all of these graduating seniors. So not only was the cost astronomical, but it felt like I wasn't seeing some schools in like mine um, getting the payoff. But if there are coachings and there are master classes and there are th there are these opportunities where you know that people will get seen and get to work with others, there will be payoff even even if it's not in an agent signing like was the goal for all my whole class. But you know if there are educational takeaways in that, so I, this has been a huge shift for me. Um, in my in my thought process and a lot of that had to come had had those two two major things is is that the q a that we did at mta with the actual casting directors who are like you're bonkers if you don't do some kind of senior showcase and then david explaining to me his reimagination of what that process looks like as well and then i kind of took those two experiences and have been really like meditating on it, if you will, just because I've been thinking and thinking and thinking. Um, so I say we do a, a, a little bit of a hybrid of it because we do invite casting directors down. Once again, pretty easy to get them down here yeah. um, from New York. But um, the biggest thing for us, the reason how the reason why I have turned the page a little bit is that um, we're listening to the students themselves, right? Uh. Like, we're asking them that what what do you envision? What do you want? Um, what and, and we are following through with exactly the vision of what this is. So part of this is also teaching them about what that is. So um, 
here are the numbers. Here are the numbers of folks who have been reached out to by agents or who have meetings or who um, have continued to make connections. Like the numbers are high. So we're going to continue to do it in this way. Um, I do think as, as you know, in musical theater academia, we all need to talk to each other. This is why I love this conversation to, to say, to ask these questions, what are you all doing? What are you all doing? I think yeah. that um, us sort of holding hands and saying, hey, this is what, this is our new model, um, you know, uh, casting directors and folks, uh, can you give us some thoughts about it would be a really good step. Um, because what we, what we have really learned through this process is that this showcase is, is just maybe your first big audition that will be followed by many other auditions like it really is just a day mm. in a moment and when we put so much weight behind it and we say it's this and it's that um it does get ballooned out and does sometimes feel inequitable and so i just it's just a, it truly is a conversation i when we're gonna um listen to this back a year from now and i'm gonna say oh it's a completely different thing <laughs> totally like, different thing. yeah yeah. It's it's now, you know, developed through AI and uh everyone, you know, <laughs> it, it's 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 gonna be holograms and it's like push on my QR code here. Like because it's it's just the way it is. At this point, it feels like to me, we are trying to get just do a version that is the pre-pandemic version of this, um, which does include um um live in-person performances and and is something that is convenient for folks in New York City to come and see. Yeah. I and I appreciate you talking about the pressure that used to be associated and maybe some places still are associated because I think too that's part of my reluctance um about about it. Not not because I had a bad experience. I actually I had it. I enjoyed my senior showcase. I had agent interest before I went to my senior showcase, which allowed me to like not have that much pressure the day of the show. I already knew that I had somebody that I was really interested in. They were really interested in me just through a happy set of wonderful circumstances. But the trauma that I watched through some peers, some close peers, and the tears and the the I mean the that was a pretty traumatic experience for a lot of people. And I, I sort of had that trauma through them. Um, and I think I'm carrying some of that with me. Um, with, and one thing that's interesting is, you know, when I look back at the trauma that I watched others experience, some of the people that had a pretty traumatic showcase ended up having pretty fantastic careers. You know, it did not equate, even though we thought it did, you know, the, the, I don't want to name names, but let's let's just say that one of the people that was the most successful post-graduation, like television star, post like successful, uh, did not have the agent response that they were hoping for. Um, we've got tenured professors that didn't have the agent uh, interest that they that they had hoped for. Yet that day, they were in. They were not happy. They were they they had trauma. 
And so anyway, that's part of maybe, maybe if I do continue moving that direction, find a way to keep the stakes low. Um, the way that you're saying that this is the first of many, many auditions. I think that's a great tip for me and for our listeners too. Um, and I'll uh, say it's that thing where, um, right. If you move to LA, I know as a Californian, you need to purchase a car, right? right. There's, it's just that thing. It, and I'm using that as, a, as, as an example. If you move to Las Vegas, there is another series of, of things. The market in New York looks a certain way, feels a certain way. Subways are ridden, right? Like it's that thing where being in the place and, 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 and I think simultaneously both and decentering the place is part of the process. Like right. we're doing this here and also like pulling the plug on, on it, on your life having to be here, but Let's get a feel for what this city feels like, different from Philly, different from Chicago, different from Atlanta. Here's one really random but and specific question about Senior Showcase. Uh, the students, uh, you said they work on their own websites. Um, do you have any sort of, do you help them at all get professional headshots that they can be proud of? Or how does that part of it work? Yeah, we actually provide um, lots of resources when it comes to this. We we invite headshot photographers to yeah. our school and set up sessions. Um, it is it is completely up to the students themselves to um, to pay for these. So we do provide like several options. Here is the like the absolute cheapest option. Here is most likely the you know the most expensive option that does involve a trip to new york or that does involve this kind of meeting and and we bring the the middle and like lower options directly to campus so yeah. so no one can say like oh but we you know we just didn't have the resource it's like oh no they were here like and they'll they'll be back here um end of october early november that's sort of our timing um yeah. And folks can even beyond our list go off and choose whoever they'd like to work with. Yeah. Um, um, we do um, also, right? We're in the middle of uh, an arts school um, with a photography program. Like, right. there are, it is also possible for them to make these collaborations here. But um, uh, yeah, we we want we want to make sure that everyone has uh, a, a way and approach to get what they need. Totally. Yeah. All right. So I will keep you posted on what I end up doing. I, I mean, obviously this, it's too late to do anything this year. We I'm, I'm really thinking about next year, which wonderfully is, you know, we've recently transitioned from a BA in musical theater to BA, BFA in musical theater. And while a number of people that were here in the BA program changed their major and end up doing the BFA curriculum, Next year's graduating class is the class that was the first, you, this is a BFA program. So mm. starting it next year makes a ton of sense. So um, we'll see. Uh, the, the The school might say, no, you can't, the liability, you can't, you know what, I don't know. Um, but um, we'll I will see. say this is, uh, so we just had a uh, prospective auditions today, um, mm. February 25th, 2023. And it is it is a question. It's a question that parents ask. One of the first questions um, we did a we do like a meet the deans kind of thing. And one of the first questions was about agents and was about like numbers. Like, you know, that was one approach to which my thought was: if you are interested in coming here to get an agent, like 
that's not the goal. Like you should, if you, if that's really your goal and the question you're asking right now is you should go and just move to New York. Go do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and, uh, but right. It, it is, it is something that is on their minds. Tell me about the showcase. Tell me what you do. Tell me what yeah. the are. Um, because it is so forward facing, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to ask because I know we're most likely wrapping up a little bit soon, but uh, you have to tell me about your trip to Disney. Dude, Disneyland. For, so I like this is something that you and I share beyond musical theater, although the overlap between musical theater and, and Disney is, you know, it, it's there. They literally play Surrey with a fringe on top on Main Street. I mean, um, <laughs> So uh, five days, we spent five days at Disneyland. Um, Grandpa uh, took the whole family. So my brother has two teenage daughters, um, he and his wife and and, and my nieces, my, my dad, uh, along with Jamie and I and the kids, we all, we all went, we stayed on property, which I had, I've done it before, but it's been years. Um, and I will say that right now, it, it the because it's a little bit more expensive to stay on property. Um, right now, it was absolutely worth it because what Disneyland is currently doing, um, and I think Disney World is something similar, though they have more hotels. Anybody staying on property gets to enter the parks 30 minutes before the parks actually open. Um, and because there are only three hotels at the California Disneyland, um, that's not very many people. So we were able to get so much done in those 30, in that 30 minutes, um, not to mention get a head start on all the rope drop crowd and everything. Um, it was, it was a absolute blast. It's always exhausting, um, to go to Disneyland and have those long days. It's especially a, a, a exhausting when you're chasing uh, an almost three-year-old and an almost five-year-old. Um, but then when you add on top of it that we were going a half hour before the park opens, which meant you know we were meeting in the lobby a little before seven so that we could get through security to get in the gates by 7.30. Um, I mean, we were getting to dinner time and we were like, done there was only one night we stayed out late enough to see the fireworks because it was like we were so tired um we it but you know i love i love disneyland like it's such a placeholder in my life like in terms of like this time capsule i love one of the things i love about disneyland is how some things evolve and change but then there are some things that just have never changed and so you know, I go on Pirates of the Caribbean and the smell when you walk in, it's like, I remember that from my childhood. Um, and now I've got my kids who are, we're creating those core memories too. And again, we're kind of bananas in my house. This is Mattingly's fourth trip to, to Disneyland and she turns five in April. So like, you know, even watching her, you know, there's a couple of spots where we take pictures with the kids every time that we're there so we can sort of watch them grow up at Disneyland. Um, and it's just so special. It's just so special and so magical. And and while I've always loved it, experiencing the magic through them, with them, is just, it's it's just, it brings the park to life in a whole nother way. You know, I waited 45 minutes in line to see Elsa, right? And and this is the third time that Mattingly's met Elsa. And yet 
the expression when she walks into the room and Elsa is there. And I mean, I got to send you this video of her just hopping like a little kangaroo as she was waiting to give Elsa a hug. Cause you can do that now again. Um, it was so wonderful. Kikau. It was just so special. And while it was exhausting, it was worth, you know, all of all, all of the, the hardship getting out of bed in the morning, it was totally worth it. Um, again, grandpa made this particular trip possible, but it was impossible not to drive away from the park and start thinking about the next time we're able to go. And have you been on Mickey's runaway railway? I have. It's brilliant. It's unbelievable. The technology, the projection mapping, the, the, so, so for our listeners who haven't been on it and, um, you know, it's there, they have the animatronic figures and, and whatnot that are moving around, but everything is like project projection mapped onto it. So Mickey's got this animated face while he's, you know, driving a car around. I mean, that's another thing. So I did a TikTok recently about the three things that musical theater can learn about um, uh, from Disney and do better from Disney. And one of the things was just this idea that the technology doesn't stop. Like you look at Mickey's Runaway Railway, which is all of this projection, projection mapping, but then you go on Peter Pan, which is another incredible ride, at, which is all black lights and, and you know, carved wooden and foam figures that are painted. And it's like you, you watch that, that, that um, creative imagination that is continuing to push the envelope. And it's just thrilling to me. And, you know, there are there are two things that I can do to be inspired about musical theater that aren't necessarily directly musical theater related. Disneyland is one. Cirque du Soleil is the other one. I'll go and see a Cirque show and I'm like, oh, my God, I want to do Cats this way. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah. I mean, did you have specific questions about the trip? No, you answered exactly what I, w- I needed to hear. Um, you know, my my previous um, podcast experience was with uh, the Jacob Brent and we did uh, a show called Main Street and Beyond. So like we are super fans. This is when we were living in San Diego and could go to Disney all the time. We would just go for lunch. We would go to like ride a ride and come home. So um, I, I will also say, I just love talking, uh, hearing you talk about Mattingly's experience in terms of that time. Cause this, that's when I first went, we went like every single year as kids absolute privilege. We have a pretty right. big family, but it was a part of the, this formative creative energy that has just stuck with me as a, as a artist. I'm like, um, I I've talked about it on this show before, but like, um, my concept when I'm directing a show has to do with something I call sconce factor. Sconce factor comes directly from Disney. You can look at a sconce or a lighting fixture in Pirates of the Caribbean and it's a completely different world than the one that you would do on Space Mountain, right? The lighting in Space Mountain. So when we're, when I'm building the world for urine town, the first step is show me the lighting fixtures. Like, because that then I love that. literally informs every aspect of the show. Like, That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it, it has been a part of my, part of my creative fabric. And also I love that. I, it's a TikTok I caught of yours about technology, right? Like really, really kind of pushes forward, um, the storytelling in so many different ways. The storytelling of, um, of that ride is so brilliant. Um, and 
And there's so many examples of that. These these picture spots you're talking about, I'm sure also, you know, are about storytelling, even though they are architectural or. The detail at Disneyland is just so, I mean, the sconce factors, I'm just building off of what you're, or commenting on what you're saying. The, the, the smell, the, the, the way the walls feel, the, the vibe, it's, it's incredible how they create a world. And that's what I was meaning when I was saying that I get inspired about musical theater and direction when I'm there. There were a couple of moments this trip um, that I thought to myself, I might cry when I say this, so forgive me. Um, I thought to myself, um, I don't ever want to forget this moment. Mm. And I mean, they of course had to do with my kids. Mattingly was finally, she's 41 inches. There are a bunch of rides that you have to be 40 inches to tall, so 40 inches tall to, to ride. And I held her hand on Space Mountain she only went on once. She wasn't necessarily thrilled about Space Mountain, but and I, I and she was so brave. And I I thought to myself through the whole ride, I don't ever want to forget this feeling of holding my daughter's hand on her first ride of Space Mountain. The uh, another one was Eddie James is now tall enough to ride Atopia, which is not the best ride for many people. But when you're three years old and you've never driven anything before, the amount of pride that he felt being the driver of this Utopia car, even though, you know, I mean, we were bouncing off the rails. I mean, it was a freaking mess. <laughs> um, I I took a video of it because it was like, I, I don't ever want to forget the, the expression that he had riding that ride. It was a type of magic that I had never experienced before. So, um, and th- th- like I said, there were a couple, she, she did love, uh, her favorite ride was Big Thunder, which she'd never done before because she wasn't tall enough. She loved that. Um, she loved, so we went with my teenage um, uh, nieces and she went on Splash Mountain twice with once with Jamie, once with myself, um, because P.S. anybody who's listening with kids, Rider Swap is the bomb. Um, I'll, I'll explain it offline. Um, but, um, the, uh, she did splash mountain twice with us. She loved it. She was thrilled. Then we went on it with my teenage nieces the next day. And they were like complaining about getting wet, like, like teenage girls. And I mean, in the sweetest way, I love my nieces. And then suddenly Mattingly didn't like that ride anymore. So she didn't want to go back on because she didn't want to get wet. Um, so now she's got like mixed emotions about that one, but, um, yeah, it's it's a really wonderful place. And I get that some people don't necessarily respond to it the same way. I think a lot of my experience is like yours, where it was part of foundational core family memory memories were created that. And one of the reasons that I love it so much now is because we're creating those with my kids. And um, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I love that you just described like teenager. <laughs> In, yeah. in one very quick example. I totally. mean, it is so it just <laughs> makes me laugh. I'm like, that is the perfect, perfect yeah. explanation of what that is. I mean, they wow. still went on it. They just complained about getting wet the whole time. And then Mattingly was like, oh, I, yeah, you're right. I don't like getting wet. <laughs> oh my gosh, so cute. Okay, here's here's us wrapping this all up. Because yeah, I for think sure. that we bring our, um, we start the revolution now. And we bring okay. our BFA musical theater classes to a showcase in Disneyland. I'm in. I am in. One hundred percent. And invite uh, invite all of the casting directors to come and see it. Right. Let's do that. Oh That's God. our recommendation. 
That's <laughs> that's it. I, I will say, here's my real recommendation. If anyone out there is like wants to geek out about Disney stuff or is like, hey, should I go to this restaurant or this restaurant? Um, I will always have an opinion. <laughs> I will always have an opinion. You know, there's you uh, there's yeah. so many ways that you can spend your day in all of these yeah. parts. So if you're like, ooh, are we going to do this or do this? I'm going to be like, do this, do that the next time, right? Um, just as you're talking about the the, the Mickey's film ride, whatever it's called, Mickey's Runaway Adventure. Runaway Railway. Right, Runaway Railway. That's yeah, a hard, yeah. It's a hard word. It's a mouthful, yeah. Oh my gosh. Thanks, Maddie. I will say that I finally got the lobster nachos. Uh, Jacob had been pushing that for a while. I think you had recommended them. Tim Espinosa recommended them. It's a little <laughs> hard to get into that restaurant, but we finally tried the lobster nachos. And though that was, those were too legit to quit right there. Oh my gosh. So good. <laughs> You're showing your age and no, no, no. I love it. Your, um, the, the, uh, lobster nacho thing is so like, interesting because there is the the kid part that we just talked about and then there's this adult thing like oh, that yeah. was very adult like oh yeah um <laughs> you could order a drink in that park you uh -huh. can have the lobster nachos you can have a whole experience <laughs> anyway thanks for asking about the trip it was really fun yeah i'm so glad um yeah. we are gonna be recording um some uh, some new episodes with some new friends soon and uh, we are excited to to share those with you all soon yeah and I think the you know I the the last two that we've done with Van and Rose I went back and listened to those those are really good if our, if you haven't listened to those listeners go back and listen to those because those are two brilliant humans we're lucky to have them yeah but some exciting people coming up uh, probably shouldn't say names just because we still have the lockdown of time. <laughs> but it's good. I love I love uh, being on this journey with you, Maddie, even from afar and and connecting with all of these um, colleagues and friends. And uh, it's a cool it's a cool thing what we're doing. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Kikau. Music for Carefully Taught was provided by Joshua Haig. For more information, visit joshuahaigmusic.com.